0: If you have your Bibles, or your favorite Bible app, will be in Matthew 6 this morning. <clears throat> about 7 to 8 verses. Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. Verses 25 to 34. Uh, this is the next to last message that we have, at least expected of us, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. So this week and the next week, and then we have completed... Uh, chapters 5 through 7 uh, in Matthew. So uh, we'll carry on to a different set of series uh, in the latter end of February and, and through March. So I hope you enjoyed this time. If you found your spot, would you please stand for the reading of Christ's Word? <clears throat> Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. May you hear the Word of our Lord this morning. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, or what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, or reap, or store away in any barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is there today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Father, we thank You for this morning, the gift of Your Word, the reminder that it is a part of our growth and maturity as Christians. And so, Lord, may You continue to feed us through Your Word, and may we continue to desire and long for this Word. And so at this time, Lord, open us to receive that Word so that You can perform Your work of growth and maturity in our lives. So feed us. Feed us in this time and may we continue to long for that spiritual bread. Father, we ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Let me start with a very simple question this morning. How many of you worry? I expect 100 participation all right? We all worry. We have a number of different worries that we have in our lives. We have very deep personal worries. We have financial worries. we have uh, family worries. We have future worries. There are so many worries that we could actually list out and maybe even give our complaints about. We all worry. But I really enjoy this picture that Jesus is painting in these verses. Do you notice how he directs our eyes to the landscape around him? He asks, "Have you ever watched the birds of the field? Have you watched them? Have you really paid attention to them as they fly across the skies and then they flutter to the ground?" "Look," he tells us. "Look at them and see how they don't work they don't work the ground of the earth" They don't plow. They don't sow. They don't water yet. God feeds them every single day. Then Jesus catches our attention one more time and He says, Glance at the flowers around you. Look at the fields. Have you ever really looked at them? They're beautiful. And He's capturing the attention of those who are listening, the hundreds and thousands that are gathered. And He asks them, Look and see. If you have never noticed for the first time, look and see how they are adorned with colors. They're adorned with complex textures. They don't worry about what they'll wear. Yet, here is God clothing them with splendorous and wondrous colors. What we find here in this passage is that Jesus is reaching First, into the wells of the imaginations of the people around Him. He's reaching deep into their imaginations and their minds to open their eyes to the simplest ways that God can tenderly care for His creation. But then, on top of that, He reaches into the wells of hearts and He speaks softly. I hope you catch that, the gentleness that we have in these verses. He speaks softly to their worries, and even our worries, the worries and concerns that cripple and sometimes even consume us, don't they? That's why I asked you, how many of you worry? Because it's more than just, I worry about X, whatever it might be. We sometimes realize that our worries can cripple us. They prevent us from taking on our daily labors, of making the next decision, of thinking seriously of how we take care of our families because the worry can consume. I think as you can see here in this passage, on one side, Jesus puts God's generous and cosmic donation right in front of us. Look how God cares for the simplest and the most minutiae of things. And then on the other hand, He does this. Look at your own earthly worries. Look at your own tangible worries. But the ultimate question that I think Jesus is really posing in front of us is this. Do you have eyes to see? Do you have eyes to see? Eyes to see the worries of eating. Eyes and to see the worries of drinking. Maybe the eyes that your worries of wearing, they can eat you alive and they can also wear you down. But on top of that, he's asking them, do you have eyes to see that the worries that you have around you, they cannot add hours and they cannot add days to your life? But he puts something in front of us. If there's an imperative that you find here in this passage, it's right here. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Why? In so doing, your eyes will be open to truly see that the King of all things can carry these worries. The King of all things can carry your concerns, but also He can carry these troubles. That, I think, is the very heart of this passage this morning. So I want us to really zoom in first before we get into a, a few other passages and really get to the depth of our worries. Hopefully we'll see this morning that this is largely pastoral, Because Jesus is pastoral. He's wanting us to really reflect deeply on our worries. Not just name them, but to really think deeply on these worries and what they are doing to us in light of the God who is over all things. But I want us to zoom in. I want us to look at that passage, excuse me, that verse of seek first His kingdom and His righteousness before we look at these worries So look there in that passage. Let me reiterate one more time. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Let's just break them apart. That first word, seek. This is an imperative. He's telling us to do something. Seek after. Search for this. At the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, if you were to flip over a couple of pages, you find this word, seek and searching for, pop up for the very first time in Matthew's Gospel. It's when he begins narrating the story of Herod. Remember Herod is this governor over this area uh, within the larger boundaries of Israel. And this Herod who has recently found out that this Messiah is to be born in a very specific place called Nazareth. And this Herod does not like this news. Because if this king truly is going to be king one day, that means he's out of the picture. And he becomes very worried and concerned that this new king will rise and push him out. And so what does he do? He sends out his armies in order to kill this king. He becomes worried to death over this. And so what he does is he is consumed with the searching out and finding the child who is to be king. And that's exactly what Matthew uses. That Greek word of searching for... This king is the exact same Greek word that we find here in this passage, a seeking and searching for. Here, though, he wasn't just sending armies to wander around aimlessly. They weren't being unintentional. It's the exact opposite. He was passionately searching for this Messiah king so that he would be killed. So that he can squash anybody who is going to be coming to power. And then later on in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus teaches a few other parables and He uses this word of seeking and searching for again. If you look at Matthew 13, Jesus tells this parable about how the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for the finest of gold. I'm sorry, the finest of pearls. The finest of pearls. And then if you go a few chapters later in Matthew 18, Jesus teaches, if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go and seek after the one that has wandered off? And the answer is yes. It's that same Greek word. A searching for who is devoted in order to find something. So, to search for, to seek after the kingdom that we have here in our passage means that we prioritize it. Seek first. It's prioritized with our entire lives that we have the same passionate searching for that even Herod had looking for this Messiah King. That we have this same searching for and seeking after as the merchant has after the pearl where we devote our entire lives to discovering it. And then on top of that, we have this same seeking after, like the shepherd who goes and he searches for the one lost sheep that he is willing to look under every bush and behind every tree in order to find. We are to have that same passionate movement towards a seeking for this kingdom and his righteousness. But we have to ask what is this kingdom like? I mean, that is one of the key words that you find across each of the Gospels. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And that is the major theme of Jesus' ministry. The kingdom. Well, what is it like? We have to know what it's like in order to know that we've actually sought for and we have found what He is talking about. Simply put, we could say that when we look at the King and His kingdom we realize what this kingdom is like. If we look at Luke's Gospel, in the fourth chapter, Jesus tells us this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. I think we can hear here that Jesus doesn't teach about making our bank accounts any bigger. That's not what the kingdom's like. He doesn't say that it's going to make us healthier or wealthier. That's not what the kingdom is like. That it's not trying to, quote, make us good people. That's not what he's saying. It's not about making us more influential. Look at the heart of what this kingdom is like. The kingdom we could say is a shadow of what our king looks like. If that is his mission statement in Luke 4, then that means that this is good news for the poor in spirit. This is good news for those who are trying to understand how sin and death has been vanquished because of the cross of Christ and his resurrection. That we understand that those of us who suffer from a number of different oppressions, spiritual oppressions, where we're being weighed down, or even other personal oppressions where these sins and brokenness are weighing us down, or even we could say cultural oppressions as well, that we all are prisoners to brokenness and sin and death. And yet here is Jesus coming about and saying, I have come to set them free. Those who were captives are ones who Who are now made free. He heals, he says, the physically and spiritually blind. By undoing the very brokenness of the curse that was first inaugurated. It was first began through Adam and Eve's own disobedience. And the last part of that is that he says he's giving liberty and freedom to each of these captives. By relinquishing them in order to love God and love neighbor. That is the mission statement that we find here in Luke 4, of what the King is like and what His kingdom is like. In a nutshell, we could say that our King and His kingdom look like this. It is a proclamation of good news. And not just a proclamation of our lips, but a proclamation of our lives that sin has been undone, that brokenness has been defeated, and that death has no sting anymore. And on top of that, that there is healing through this one Christ. That our sorrows and our pains and our worries, they can be given to Him. And lastly, that we are unchained from spiritual and personal oppressions of our own. So let's look back again at that verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We've looked at the word seek. We've looked at this kingdom of God. Now, His righteousness. What is this about? We might think of righteousness as this invisible or intangible reality that we can't touch righteousness. But not in Jesus' day. You could certainly touch righteousness because righteousness was lived out. It was something close to our word justice. We understand when somebody has been convicted of a crime for what they have done, we see justice right there happening in front of us, don't we? This would have been close to the word righteousness. It is something tangible. We can see it. For instance, when Paul writes to the Philippian church, he says this, when you practice this superlative love, this agape love, you will be filled up with the fruit of righteousness, fruit of justice and integrity through Jesus Christ and will glorify and praise God with all of your life. One scholar puts it like this, to be filled with righteousness would have been understood to mean a public display of virtue. You can see this virtue lived out, this righteousness, this justice. It's tangible. You see it in the acts that are performed in front of you. It is tangible. Seek First, the kingdom of God and His, Jesus' righteousness. Hopefully, I think we can begin to observe a couple of things that are happening that Jesus is this King. But now, let's look a little bit deeper at these worries that we talked about a second ago. We may observe our worries on a daily basis, don't we? We see them starting to bubble up to the top of our lives. We notice when they start. We realize that they can, as I said a minute ago, consume us. But I want you to listen closely to this. Our worries are more than just concerns. Our worries are more than just concerns. Here's the key part. Our worries, if we look deeper, they reveal what we value. Did you catch that? Our worries, they reveal, they show us what we truly value. Once it comes to worry, I'm going to say that it is exposing our greatest things that we value. In His day, Jesus points to a couple of things that people value, right? Eating, drinking, clothing. Those are a few examples that the people truly worried about on a daily basis. As 21st century Americans, those really aren't at the top of our list. Now, I'm not saying a minority of Americans don't worry about the next food on the table. They don't there are those. But a majority of Americans aren't worried about the clothing that they have, and a majority of Americans aren't worried about when is my next meal going to happen. We generally worry about money. We sometimes even worry about status. We worry about our relationships that we have. We worry, of course, about our family. And I would say that one of the top concerns and worries is our future. We may, ask, we may not ask, when is our next meal? But we're certainly more likely to ask this. Will I have enough money for X? Am I being noticed in my work, in my job? Does my husband love me? Or my wife? Will I make more friends at this age? Will my children be okay in the next 10 to 15 years? What does my future hold? But let's look at some of those. When we worry, one of the things that really captures us and consumes us is that we can't control those things, can we? We want to control our future. We want to control the next 10 years for our children. We want to be able to control whether somebody loves us or not. We want to be able to control how many friends that we have or whatever it might be. Our worries certainly revolve around control, don't they? As Jesus pointed out the frustrations and concerns of those around Him, He reminds them of, of this. And I think it reminds us of this as well. That God feeds the birds of the air. And He clothes the flowers of the field. And then He has, are you not of more value than them? My friends, nothing catches God by surprise. I think we know this. He's a big God who has full control of the universe and everything that happens in, in it. He understands and even knows yes, your biggest worries that you have. So not only do our worries revolve around control, I would even say that our worries usually creep up in spaces and times in complete silence and complete quiet. Like when you lay your head down at night. Have you realized that? If you Lay your head down, you're ready for a good night's sleep and then something hits your mind and you begin worrying about that. And then you can't take your mind off of it, that it starts to consume you and then realize an hour later you still haven't solved the world's problems. And it just continues to bubble up. There's one after the other. So if I can get personal for a second. What is it that you worry about? I mean, I really want you to think deeply on this. What is it? If you could lay out a list of things that you worry about, what is it that you worry about? We typically can name one or more worries that we have daily and weekly. But it's much harder to name why you worry. Have you noticed that? It's harder to name why you worry because it requires you to get really to the source of it. To get to the root of those worries. And I'm not suggesting by any stretch of the imagination that these worries aren't real. And that we shouldn't pay attention to them. I'm saying the exact opposite. Once it comes to our worries, we need to recognize that these are real to us. That they are a part of our emotional and physical life. And even our spiritual lives. Jesus doesn't tell them to get rid of all this worry. He's not saying don't worry about it completely. He's wanting us to do something different with our worry. He's wanting us to take our worries and give them to a person. And I hope we hear that this morning. He wants us to take our worries that consume us and to give them to Him. That is difficult, isn't it? It is so hard to say that all of these worries that we have on a daily basis, we want to control them. We want to be able to say, I can make sure that this is my task and nobody else has to help me. I can control it. But that's not the call that he invites to his church. How will we give these over to this person? You probably have gathered, and you probably will continue to gather all kinds of worldly wisdom that is around you of how you're supposed to deal with worry. I came up with two this past week. Bobby McFerrin. you Remember this? This artist? Don't worry, be happy. Now it's going to be in your head the rest of the day, isn't it? At least that whistle, that first 30 seconds of him whistling the melody. What is it that he says? That this is one flavor, I think, of worldly wisdom, of how we're supposed to cope with our worry. Don't worry, just be happy. That is one way that we're invited to deal with our worry. Or even for kids, or my generation as well, is that we hear hakuna matata, right? That's what he was thinking of, wasn't he? Hakuna Matata. What does that translate to? No worries. worries. I'm not going to sing it. For the rest of your days. No, I'm not doing it. He's trying to provoke me. But here we have even how to deal with our worries to our children. Don't, Don't worry about these things. Be happy. Or no worries for the rest of your days. Respectively, once it comes to Bobby McFerrin's song, what we find is that he, he is trying to give a certain optimism in the midst of our worries. And sorry Timon and Pumbaa, but they have a less than optimistic picture. They're telling you just to neglect them, those worries. Don't even think about them, just keep going on with your day. Maybe there's a hint of truth in each of these, but I think... Once it comes to understanding what Jesus is wanting his people to do with worries, it's something far different. First, I think he's wanting us to acknowledge the worries themselves. He's wanting us to acknowledge. This would be the opposite of what Timon and Puma were saying. He's wanting us to actually direct our attention and say with honestly with honesty, this is what worries me. This is what concerns me. This is what I love and this is what I value. Family, money, status, whatever it might be that is in our hearts. And it's possible that we value what we value has become overvalued. Usually it's what happens when we worry about things. It's not that we shouldn't worry about families, but then we overvalue those things that we worry so much that we can try to control them. And so doing, we're assigning too much value to those worries and thus teaching our hearts to worry more about them. Here's the second thing that I think Jesus is saying. We can't only acknowledge our worries, but we are to confront them. We are to look at them face to face and we are to remember what I said earlier that usually our worries creep up when we're still and when we're quiet. But here's the double-edged sword of this church. When we want to confront them, we might need to get in those still and quiet times and to see what our worries are, what we are valuing or possibly overvaluing, and then confront them face to face. That has to be a part of our daily and weekly lives. In order for us to truly grow in maturity of Christ, that we have to name them. have to confront them and on top of that here's the other thing we have to understand that each and every single person in this church is meant to carry our worries and burdens alongside of each other this is not just a single solo autonomous thing that we have to worry about ourselves that nobody else should carry that's the exact opposite picture that you have laid out in the new testament is that Our burdens become your burdens, and your burdens become our burdens, and we carry these together as the church. We cannot carry these alone. And we must convince ourselves first that Jesus truly is King, and that He reigns, and He rules over every single microcosm in the universe, this entire Milky Way galaxy, over the smallest mushrooms that we see in our own uh, lawns, and He is fully guess what church, fully qualified to help you in your marriages and your money. Whatever it is that has consumed us, He is able to truly be a God with us and for us. And we have to convince ourselves that our brothers and sisters around us are gifts for that. They help us cast our eyes to this King who is able to carry those worries. And this is a teaching that I think we have to capture again, recapture again today. Is that we're not a church of just single people, of solo people. We're a body. We're all here to help one another flourish in so many ways in our spiritual lives. We are not meant to bury our worries alone. So we have to acknowledge them. We have to confront them. We have to... See that our brothers and sisters are here to help. And lastly, I think we have to rest in the very promises of God. I hope you heard that word, rest. We have to let those worries rest in Him. And so when we crawl into bed, we know that we have to put our bodies in a certain position in order to be comfortable and welcome sleep, right? I don't know if you've noticed this yet, but you can't will yourself to sleep. You can't close your eyes and say, sleep, and it happens. It doesn't. We have to position our bodies in such a way and we have to get ourselves comfortable in order to welcome sleep. Likewise, I think once it comes to our own mental and spiritual health, we are to comfortably submit our lives to Christ, the One who can give us that rest. So resting in Him it truly is an acknowledgement that we can't handle our worries on our own. And we know that this Jesus is the one who can carry our troubles and give us rest. So church, hear this. He feeds the birds of the air. And He clothes creation with splendor and beauty. And on top of that, I know... No, I know. He also is able to hear your troubles and He truly desires to carry those worries. Let us as a church rest in this King. Let's pray. Father, we thank You again for the reminder that Your Word is fully sufficient to be able to speak into our lives. That it is fully capable of giving life to every arena of our lives. And so, Father, may You give rest to those who are completely consumed with worries. And this would be a breath of fresh air this morning that they would take time this week and to be able to name the worries, write them down, so that we see them on paper, that we acknowledge that these things have taken over in times and on top of that, we are trying our best to give them to You and acknowledge that we can't control the situation, but certainly You as the King of all things can. And so may You give rest to our restless hearts. And may You be the one that we provide, our hearts are provided true comfort. And so Lord, continue to invite Your people into that rest that You can give. And that we would be a people that are known to exhaust the graces that You offer each and every day. So Lord, teach us as Your people. Teach us as a people who long to see You as King. May we lift these things and acknowledge that You are the only One in which our hearts can find rest. Lord, we thank You for the Word that has been gifted to us this morning. And we thank You for gathering us as Your people to sing songs of praise to You. And so may Your words continue to be wrestled with this week. We offer these things in the name of Christ. Amen.